Grand Risings, Grand Risings, Happy Magnificent Monday to you all. This is Humble Dame coming to you on this magnificent Monday morning. It is about 7.32 where I'm at in the Midwest here. And I'm going to come to you guys again with one of my favorite books by one of my favorite authors, Healing the Shame That Binds You. It is by John Bradshaw. I'm going to start reading on page 71, which is chapter 3, The Hiding Places of Toxic Shame. The Hiding Places of Toxic Shame. And it reads, Where are you, Adam? According to the book of Genesis, after the fall, Adam went into hiding. By trying to be more than human, Adam felt less than human. Before the fall, Adam was not ashamed. After the fall, he was. Toxic shame is true agony. It is a pain felt from the inside and the core of our being. It is excruciatingly painful. Felt sense of toxic shame. Toxic shame results from the unexpected exposure of vulnerable aspects of a child's self. This exposure takes place before the child has any ego boundaries to protect himself. The early shaming events happen in a context where the child has no ability to choose. The felt experience of shame is the feeling of being exposed and seen when one is not ready to be seen. Toxic shame is often manifested in dreams of being naked in inappropriate places or in being not prepared, as in suddenly having to write your final exam without having studied for it. The unexpected quality of shaming events creates a lack of self-trust in a child. A toxic shame, as it develops, the child stops trusting his own eyes of judgment, feelings, and desires. Those faculties form our basic human power. The distrust of our basic faculties results in the feeling of powerlessness. As vulnerable aspects of the self are shamed, they are disowned and separated from our felt sense of self. This self-separation process results in a split self. We are beside ourselves. We become an object to oneself. When I become an object, I am no longer in me. I am absent from my own experience. When I feel what I feel is emptiness and exposure, I have no boundaries and therefore no protection. I must run and hide, but there is no place to hide since I am totally exposed. There, they are after me and they are going to take me by surprise and catch me. I'm being hunted from moment to moment. The hunter is always approaching. There is never a moment where I can relax. I must be constantly guarded, lest I'm ever unguarded. I am alone in the most complete way. The agony of this chronic stage of being cannot be endured for long. As the deepest level, toxic shame triggers our basic automatic defense cover-ups. Fred <clears throat> called this automatic cover-ups our primary ego defenses. Once these defenses are in place, they function automatically and unconsciously, sending our true authentic self into hiding. We develop a false identity out of this basic core. We become master impersonators. We avoid our core agony and pain. And over a period of years, we avoid our avoidance. Figure three, and it gives a great figure, um, like a diaphragm, 3.1, gives you a visual picture of the various layers of protection which we devise to create our defenses against the core agony of shame. 
Each layer is progressively more conscious. The deepest layers are egos, defenses, family system, roles, and scripts are automatic and unconscious. All layers are compulsive and each characteristic element of our shield of secrecy seems to have a life of its own. Primary ego defenses. Fred was the first to clearly define an automatic process used for self-preservation, which is activated in the face of a severe threat. He called this process the primary ego defense system. All of this need to be used. All of us need to use these defenses from time to time. They were intended by nature to be situational rather than chronic. Children are helpless and powerless. Their ego is undifferentiated at birth. Each child needs to develop boundaries and ego strengths. Children need their ego defenses more than adults. They need them until they can develop good boundaries. To develop strong ego boundaries, children need parents with strong boundaries. No shame-based parent has these. If one is essentially flawed and defective as a human being, then everything about one is not okay. Toxic shame is without boundaries. Without any boundaries for protection, a child cannot survive being without boundaries. It's like living in a house without doors. It is like a country without borders or an army to protect its borders. Along with their egocentricism, nature provides children with primary ego defenses to take the place of boundaries. Each ego defense allows the child to survive situations which are actually intolerable. Denial and fantasy bonding. Perhaps the most elementary ego defense is denial. In the face of threat, people deny what is going on or they deny the hurt of what is going on or the impact on their lives of what is going on. Robert Firestone has elaborated on Fred's notion of denial. He describes the most fundamental ego defense as the fantasy bond. The fantasy bond is an illusion of connectedness that the child creates in relation to the primary caregiver who is shaming her. Paradoxically, the more a child is violated, the more she creates the fantasy bond. Bonding to abuse is one of the most perplexing aspects of shame inducement. Abuse is usually unpredictable, a sort of random shock. Abuse lowers one's self-value and induces shame. As one loses more and more self-respect, one's world of choices and alternatives is diminished. Finally, one feels one has no choice other than to cling to one's abuser. The fantasy bond, really bondage in parentheses, is the illusion that someone is there for them, someone who loves them and protects them. The fantasy bond is like a mirage in the desert. Once set up, the denying fantasy bond functions automatically and unconsciously. Years later, when reality is no longer life-threatening, the fantasy bond remains. Repression. Any intolerable event is signaled by strong emotions. Emotions are a form of energy in motion. They signal us of a loss, threat, or a citation. Sadness is about losing something we cherish. Anger and fear signal us of an actual impending threat to our well-being. Joy signals that we are fulfilled and satisfied. Whenever a child is shamed through some of form of abandonment, feelings of anger, hurt, sadness arise. Since shame-based parents are shame-bound in all their emotions, they cannot tolerate their children's emotions. Therefore, they shame their children's emotions. Repression is the way children numb out so that they don't have to feel their emotions. 
It is not absolutely clear exactly how the mechanism of repression works. It certainly has to do with muscle tension, changing breathing patterns, and fantasizing abandonment. Once an emotion is repressed, one feels numb. The emotional avoidance is sealed by learning to avoid the avoidance. And it says erasing subjective experiences. Kaufman posits a direct link between the emotional shame binds and the ego defense of repression. He suggests that after a period of having one's feeling shame, one begins to enter a realm of what he calls experimental erasure. This experimental erasure is equivalent to repression. Emotions are eternally experienced before they are overtly expressed. Kaufman writes, the very experiencing of a particular feeling can be silenced, can become silenced if the binding effects of shame spread to the internal conscious registering of the shame bound effect. At the moment, the self suddenly feels exposed. If only to itself, the awareness of the contents of consciousness and of the triggering effect can be erased exponentially. It says this erasing of experience is an ego protection. Gradually over a period of time, we learn not to not to even be aware of experiencing a feeling which generates shame. We learn to feel nothing. We psychically numb out. Disassociation. Disassociation is the ego defense that accompanies the most violent forms of shame and sexual and physical violence. The trauma is so great and the fear is so terrifying that one needs instant relief. Disassociation is a form of instant numbing. It evolves. It involves the mechanism of denial and regression, but includes strong elements of di distracting imagination. An incest victim simply goes away during the experience of violation, like a long daydream. The same is true of physical violence. The pain and humiliating shame are unbearable. The victim leaves her body. This is the reason that these forms of victimization are so difficult to treat. The memories are screened while the feelings remain. The victim often feels crazy like she is living in unreality. The victim often has split, sometimes multiple personalities because the connection between the violence and the response to the violence has been severed. The victim thinks the craziness and shame are about her rather than about what has happened to her. Disassociation is not limited to sexual and physical violation. Emotional battering, severe trauma, chronic distress are also precipitating factors in causing disassociation. Disassociation can last a long time. Displacement. Displacement is closely connected to disassociation. A client of mine whose alcoholic father used to come in her room and violate her shortly after the bars closed frequently woke up at 3 a.m. and saw a shadowy figure in her room. She also had a reoccurring nightmare of a black monster figure who poked her and punched her with his black thumb. When, when she came to therapy, she had no idea she was an incest victim. She had a history of being sexually abused by considerably older men. She was only 26 at the time she began her therapy. As we did her family of origin work, and while in light hypnotic age regression, she began to experience hypermesia, a flood of memories about her bedroom and her father. At first, they were very general. After repeated probing for detail, she began shame-faced sobbing, describing how her father forced her to engage in fellatio. Over months of debriefing, she reconstructed a two-and-a-half-year trauma beginning at about age four-and-a-half. 
She was her dad's favorite. He threatened her with severe punishment if she told anyone. He also gave her the only warmth and attention she experienced in the family. When she connected the emotions with the events, her shadowy displacement and her black thumb monster disappeared from her dreams. Depersonalization. Closely related to displacement is depersonalization. Depersonalization is a behavioral manifestation of becoming, of being violated. It happens most often in the context of a significant other with whom the individual no longer perceives the reality of her own subjective self. She experiences herself as an object. This results in the loss of awareness and an inner experience. As violation continues, the individual no longer perceives the reality of herself or her environment. Identification. When victimization takes place, the victim often identifies with the persecutor. By doing, by so doing, the victim no longer feels the helplessness and the shame of humiliation of the victimization. Persecuting offenders were previously victims who identified with their offenders. In identifying, they no longer had to feel shame. Conversion. I spoke of effect and need conversion when I described how Max compensated for his abusive and neglectful abandonment by converting most of his feelings and needs into sexual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. There are other ways that conversion begins, defends us against toxic shame. It says, uh, filling rackets. I've already experienced how, in the process of internalizing shame, vital parts of our human reality are disowned. The split-off parts of our internal experience our feelings, needs, and drives clamor for expression. They are like a hungry dogs locked in the basement. We must find some means to quiet them. One way is through feeling conversion. In feeling conversion, we convert what is forbidden or shameful into another more acceptable or tolerable feeling. We have already seen this with the feelings of sexuality. Other feelings can be used to replace our shame-bound feelings. Anger is often blocked for blocked from conscious awareness and converted into a more tolerable and family authorized feelings such as hurt or guilt. The person feeling angry no longer feels it. He feels the acceptable feeling. Three-year-old her creamer is furious because his mother promised to take him to Baskin Robbins and is now blacking out. Her creamer storms and stumps telling his mom as three-year-olds do uh, 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 won't do he, th that he hates his mom. Mom is a shame based codependent. She is terrified of anger, her own and anyone else's. Her Kramer's anger triggers her own anger towards her own parents. Since this anger is bound in guilt and shame, she stops herself from feeling her shame by guilting and shame at her Kramer. She tells him how hurt she feels when he is angry at her. She begins to cry since she's learned to convert her anger into sadness as a little girl. Crying when feeling angry is a common female racket as a scene from mom's childhood when as follows. Her dad was angry because she wouldn't stop playing in her room and get to sleep. When he expressed his anger, she started sobbing. Dad felt bad and picked her up and started stroking her. He gave her a glass of cold juice and rocked her to sleep. As a little girl, her Kramer's mom learned that sadness is acceptable and gives her power. Anger did not work in her family. When he, when her Kramer tells her he hates her, she cries, telling him that maybe someday she won't be home when he wants her. She may even tell him that maybe she will go away and die. Poor her Kramer is devastated. His abandonment, terror, and separation anxiety are triggered. 
He rushes to his mom feeling terrible guilt. His awareness of his anger is completely lost. His anger has been converted into guilt. Sometimes parents react with anger to their children's expression of anger, fear, or sadness. When this happens, the child's feelings are either bound in shame or are converted into fear or terror. My own feelings of anger was dominated by fear much of my life. When I felt anger, it was immediately converted into fear to the point of terror. Even when I could express the anger, my lips would quiver. My voice would crack. My body would tremble. Eric Byrne, the founder of Transactional Analysis, T.A. called this feeling conversion process. I'm describing racket formation. A racket is a family authorized feeling used to replace a non-acceptable and shaming feeling. So I'm going to stop there and I'll continue reading tomorrow. This is very filling and it was very dense and a lot to kind of take in. Um, again, I read Healing the Shame That Binds You by my one of my favorite authors, John Bradshaw. I love how uh, methodical and analytical he is. And he literally just goes deeply into it. And again, I read from chapter thir- chapter three, page 71, the hiding places of toxic shame. Um, when people shame you, it's because they have places of shame within them. And uh, that can come out in many different forms, which I read. And I thought that it was very, very good eye-opening. We always point the finger at ourselves before we try to analyze and point the finger at others, which is uh, taking the knowledge we know and using wisdom on ourselves. And so a lot of times people are acting out of their primary defenses, their ego defenses. So it can come out in the form of denial and fantasy bonding, repression. They can disassociate. They can displace those feelings. They can depersonalize you and themselves. They identify with their abuser or abusive people, and then they can convert those feelings of guilt or anger, and they will convert them into a more acceptable emotion to a group or to a religion or to a society um, because their toxic shame is hiding in acceptance or their toxic shame um, can come out in the form of mimicry. Um, When children mimic us, it's them imitating us to learn. And they're basically forming their own identity and learning how to cook or to imitate us moms when we're putting makeup on and things like that. When you see grown women or grown men doing mimicking, it's uh, uh, basically a manifestation of one of their ego defenses. And you can see behind that if you look and use the knowledge that you've learned from this book and use wisdom and see that there's toxic shame there. Um, They were not loved for who they actually were. If it's a woman by their father, if it's a man by their mother for who they are, they were love for a performance. And so if they see someone in their authenticity, uh, no matter how ugly, grotesque, raw, real, and maybe joyous at times, if they see you walking in your own authenticity, it, it triggers their toxic shame. And so therefore they mimic to emulate. Uh, emulation means to one up someone. So when you see people mimicking, they're trying to one up you doing you because they were never accepted as who they are. And so um, it's very important for us to identify toxic shame within ourselves and how we're relating to others and toxic shame in others. Not to be judgmental or to be bitchy, but just to kind of know and this should breed. It's going to be irritating at first, but after a while, it should breed a sense of compassion um, for the people to see that they're that lost in themselves, that uh They have these toxic shames coming out in the form of mimicry or in the form of mocking or in the form of bullying um, because they were never accepted for who they actually are on the inside. And so uh, if you're a person of prayer or if you do meditation, I don't judge anyone's religion. If you do rituals, um, you can begin to free yourself from the offense 
of the people that are bound. It says it was a bondage. John Bradshaw, those are his words exactly verbatim. Um, they're bound by toxic shame. You can begin to um, speak positivity to them that they will be able to have experiences with people where they can be accepted for who they are. Um, for the type of music they like, for their natural feelings, whether it's disgust, anger, hatred, some of the taboo feelings um, that were never validated in them, um, some of their own hobbies. They may not be aware that they actually like um, the, their looks, uh, their position in life, uh, what they're called to do, their destiny, their careers. Um, pray that they start to get validated in those areas for them, their true self. And once a person is validated in their true self and they validate themselves, the mimicry will stop because the toxic shame will dissipate. The mocking will stop of others, right? Because that toxic shame will dissipate. So when you see others acting out like this towards you, um, you're going to hit a brick wall. And when you hit that brick wall... You know, anybody you hit a brick wall in, in, in person, it's going to hurt, right? And so once you kind of get up and you can kind of see that wall and look beyond that wall of this person, you can kind of see they're bound with toxic shame. And the way you can identify that is, is that we have all had toxic shame within our lives. And so as you're working to purge yourself out and become a whole in different areas and validate your authentic self and live out your authentic self, others, you have to know they're, they're going to come out in forms of trying to depersonalize you. They will want to dehumanize you because that's how they were done. So it's a cycle that continues. Um, and in some forms, imitation is the highest form, form of flattery. But when it's coming from a person that has toxic shame, it's not, it's not a compliment. It's a competition for them. I'm going to say that again. Um, in some instances, like with our children, nieces, you know, people younger than us, people that's learning. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. But when it comes from a person that is that is bound in the bondage of toxic shame, of not being accepted who they really are, their real desires, their real wants on the inside of having cultivated those areas within them is not a compliment. It's a competition within their minds. So they will project that out to you. So when you're having this hit, when you're having this hit you, you have to, first of all, not accept it and then send it back. And as you send it back, you, you begin to say positive words that they will find people around them that will validate their authentic self. Um, and I know what most of you are thinking that validation comes from the inside. That's from a healthy person mentally and spiritually. If a person is unhealthy mentally and spiritually, they're carrying around a lot of toxic shame, which is why I read a lot of the ego defenses of they'll try to dehumanize you. They'll bully you. They'll mock you. They'll mimic you. Um, and so with those people, they actually need a lot of external validation for the real them, not what they're mimicking or what they're uh, imitating or emulating. For the real them. And that that's the only thing that can penetrate them is the love that someone else can show for the real them. And then they'll begin to come into their own. And like a beautiful flower, you'll begin to see it come from being withered to growing out and flourishing. So that's something that we would want to do. This is how you move beyond the fence. And um, I think it's a beautiful thing. And it all starts with toxic shame. OK, it's going to come out in anger. They're going to convert their feelings. They're going to displace their feelings of anger towards their mom or their dad on you. Um, and this is and it's going to become more pervasive in society because people are uncomfortable in this quarantine. It's just going to be they're going to get nastier and nastier and more cantankerous and more competitive. And they can't see it because they're they're bound by toxic shame. And so no one wants to see someone else bound by toxic shame. You want to see them living out their authenticity and and their truth um, and, and not judging them for it. Right. I don't judge by sexual orientation, by religious affiliation, by social economical status 
by marital status, whether you're single or not, whether you have kids or not. I don't judge. Now, we can have our preferences, which is totally fine, and I respect that. When we, we begin to judge or we begin to covet uh, what other people have, that's coming from toxic shame. So, of course, we point the finger at ourselves before we point it at other people, and that'll help us. It is like a link. It's a bridge of compassion. And so um, I just wanted to encourage you guys today. If you encounter that with a, a coworker, with your, I mean, I've encountered it with my own mom. So, I mean, how, how, you know, your nearest and dearest, you hold them dear, but they don't really hold you dear like that. Parts of them do and parts of them don't because they're fractured, you see. And so when you begin to look at them with the eyes of uh, compassion and see that they ha- they carry a lot of toxic shame and that toxic shame carried around long enough will compartmentalize and, and leave them depraved. They go into depravity and then they become demented. Um, and that, and in that demented state of mind, they believe mocking and bullying and imitating is them projecting their inner pain. You can see there's a lot of pain and toxic shame there. Um, and it's, it's very hard to see that in people that you don't like. Um, but I've experienced it with my kids, dad, with my mom, with family members. Um, they have to displace their anger off on you. So you don't accept their anger and you just wish them positive energy, um, that they will be healed and that they will be accepted for who they are on the inside by, by not by me, right? Uh, <laughs> but by someone that is of influence in their, in their lives. And so, um, I think that's a beautiful thought to start this magnificent Monday. It's magnificent when you begin to let go of that toxic shame, um, as kids and and as adults, we have all felt exposed and vulnerable in areas that we did not want to have exposed or vulnerable. Things get misconstrued. People lie. People slander your name. Right. And so you can stay in that state of victimization. Right. And then identify with your abusers or abusive people. Or you can allow yourself to take self-accountability to heal and to begin to uh, gravitate towards people that's not only better for your emotional health, but for your mental health as well. Okay, so I hope that you guys have a wonderful day and I hope that inspired you. So let's get rid of some toxic shame today and happy, magnificent money to you. Remember, getting rid of shame is going to be magnificent and beauty looks good on you.